the Comedy Zone podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. From Charlotte, North Carolina, this is the Comedy Zone podcast. Find us on Twitter at the CZ Podcast. Email us at ComedyZonePodcast at gmail.com. Now, your host, Will Jacobs. All right, welcome to the Comedy Zone Podcast. Uh, We got another special episode for you. We are missing one leg off of Voltron, Brian. Uh, Jason, we are we are super shorthanded. Yeah, Jason. Jason no, is uh, that, off. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said shorthanded. I'm sorry. Well, that was a little insensitive, Brian. Now this yeah, is 2020. I didn't even think. I, I didn't even Listen, think. We of, don't call people. What we don't saying. do the short no more. I didn't. Jason yeah. is, is vertically challenged. He, he is, and I'm not, and so it's especially hurtful, probably coming from me. I'm sorry. That's, I know I as not. tall as you are, man. You figure you'd have a little more compassion. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't know what I. You know that was a long time ago, and I'm a different person now. And uh, uh, you know, let, let's just hope Jason doesn't <laughs> listen to the episode. There's a, a 75-25 chance on that, so we'll just ride with that. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, we have a very special guest though in the building, uh, Brian, and I'm in the virtual building. And I'm, he's so. Our next guest is so big that my cat is scratching my bedroom door. So hold on, let me calm him down. Give me one second, and I'm gonna finish this intro for our guest. Come here, Toby. <laughs> we run a tight ship here, Mike. Is what is what uh, <laughs> what we are. Nothing if not professionals. Everybody want to be a star, boy. All right. <laughs> so I was I was in the middle of introducing our very special guest. Uh, I, I know this man, we go way back, as far back almost as me in comedy, super funny brother, nationally touring headliner. He's been on television. Uh, he's been on the Comedy Zone, does a lot of uh, churches, corporate events. This guy's a, a jack of all trades with it. Comedian Mike Goodwin, the Bowtie brand is with us tonight, Brian. What's going on, fellas? Mike and I got to know each other pretty well while we were waiting for you to connect. Well, that's part of my genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, there was all no right. computer issue. I'll buy that. Right. See how we're all getting along off the top. Mike, what's up, man? Welcome. Man, man, it's good having you here, brother. Hey, man, I'm finally uh, here, man. We've been talking about this for some years. We've been wanting to wanting to do this for a long time, but you, uh, your schedule, and you, you know, you're not in Charlotte. You, you're based out of South Carolina, so we never could quite hook it up. Right, right. Well, well, welcome to the Comedy Zone podcast, brother. For those that don't know, I kind of said a bit of it in the intro, but uh, if you'd like to, Mike, you know, if you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your your background, and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, my name is Mike Goodwin. I'm a uh, comedian that wears bow ties on stage. I have a, uh, a family. I'm a family man. And uh, I'm also a mass murderer, you know. And I found the opportunity <laughs> to out myself during the quarantine in this podcast. No, no, man. I, 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 
I, I travel all over, man. Uh, I just love comedy, man. I'm a comedian. Comedian, I would suspect. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, just, just hitting the stage and, and uh, providing the audience with some wholesome laughter. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good a good way to describe it. Um, so your 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 background, you're from South South Carolina, right? Right, right. Born and raised. Born and raised in South Carolina. So were you like kind of the, the class clown growing up or were there early signs of this? Man, I was more like the person that told the class clown what to do. Like I was the Whoa. I was the throw the rock, hide the hand guy, right? So what I was, kind of stuff would you do? I, I was the puppet master, right? So I, I would like, uh, but what I, I would, I would participate in shenanigans. Now, this is one of my best, and it's not. It's very insensitive now that I think about it. I would fake seizures in the back. I tell a full on on the floor seizures. Bro, you just start shaking. Just shaking, just shaking. I hit the floor, and I shake a little more, and then before the teacher, you know, because people start kind of like the teachers were really determined to get whatever they were writing. So you got to wait till they got like mid word. Like if so, she wanted to finish what she was gonna write before she turned around to see what the ruckus was. By that time, I was I was in my seat. You know, I was just sitting there. Oh, you was quick with it. Oh yeah, my classmates crying like, and they're like, "What's so funny?" And I'm like, so I'm, you, I, "I don't know what this was happening." So you knew back then that you had some kind of gift for making people laugh. Oh yeah, yeah, man, I, I knew. But very early on, I had a great sense of humor, but I was one of those people that you didn't anticipate it, right? Like, mm-hmm. people were surprised because I, you know, I'm a very, you know, we call it scholarly now but i look like a nerd right you know uh mm-hmm. glasses you know i had the peabody look man so nobody was expecting <laughs> nobody was very astutious yeah man but the problem is you either got to fight a joke right so that's the only way mm. of survival so my, my joke game became super strong and it kept you out of a lot of mess out of a lot of mess, man. I, I was able to shut down a lot of aggressive, a lot of aggressive actions towards me because the jokes. Because because you know if you hit some, you start you know the kids call it roasting back then. We just called it jonesing or cracking jokes. If you hitting somebody hard enough, the person gonna be like looking at the weakest person mm-hmm. in the room. Like, hey, who, what you laughing at? I know you ain't laughing. <laughs> and so I'm free. I'm out of there. You know, I just had to at least get the people in the group to laugh to get the heat off me because <laughs> that heat boy that especially at that age because they them kids don't pull no punches man man they pulled all the punches they did they pulled them they pulled the right ones and the left ones and the uppercut they pulled them <laughs> why do we even say that pull no punches they did hit me I got hit a lot and, I, and they said that you're not supposed to hit people with glasses and now I don't think the kids I grew up got that information because <laughs> I stayed picking my glasses up off the ground. Good gracious! <laughs> so, so were you were you uh, were you the type in the home at home making the family laugh too? 
Yeah, yeah, because we had a lot of dysfunction happening at my house. So I was uh, <laughs> I was the uh, valve reliever. Like so, once my pops, my pops, you know, he liked that sauce. You know, he he liked to have that uh, little, little little taste. And so he would, mm. he would, yeah, he would blow up, and then he would go back to his room, and then I mm-hmm. was just going through my stuff, man. And, I, and I, that's when I knew I had some jokes, man, because I was making my mom and my brother's sisters laugh. And then I knew when I was killing, because my dad would be in his room, like, whoa, 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 what's all that noise on there? Yo, cut all that noise out. I was like, oh, I'm ripping tonight. This is going well right here. You know you get them. Yeah, my, my, hey, yo, cut all that noise. What the fuck's in there? I was alleviating some of the tension in our home. Oh, that's good. So you've had, so you've had training. Oh yeah, man. So this stuff could be happening on, on the shows, man. I'm like, man, get out of here, man. <laughs> ain't, no, ain't, no, ain't nobody gonna come up here and beat me, you know. Well, but that that's changed a little bit, I think. Uh, uh, thanks to Steve Brown. But, oh, uh, right. It, it, actually, it actually can happen. <laughs> that, that happened right here in Columbia, so that's why I mentioned it. <laughs> so then. You- so the knees are around the times that you that that when you talk about what you're not going to do. Were these those days where you first were young and were hearing that? Yeah, man. I think I heard that my entire life, man. That's just one of those things that I never stopped hearing that. People always were telling me what I wasn't going to do. Hmm. Hmm. So you so with parents, everybody in the neighborhood, adults, any adult, everybody that was older than me. It wasn't even an adult. Like if you were. T- if you was eleven and I was nine, you was telling me <laughs> what I wasn't gonna do. Like it was a, they say take community. I, I think the little kids in my neighborhood got involved with the community. I was like, I don't think they talking about y'all. I think they talking about adults. <laughs> and then, so this is around the time then that you are going up north for the summers, right? Because you talk some of that, talk about some of that in your act. No, no, not me. My, 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 uh, my. Family members from the north would come down to. Oh, they would come down. Okay. okay. Right. Right. So they would come down, and then they would talk about how boring it was when they would come down. Like it's nothing to do. I'm like, what do you mean it's nothing to do? We about to go shoot some ball, and they just was always like, I, I don't know what was happening in New York. Like people just, my cousins would just would get out of the bed and be like, ain't nothing to do. I'm like, we had breakfast yet? What are you talking about? We got to eat breakfast. <laughs> What's supposed to be happening? Yeah, that's something to do. <laughs> you can wash your face. You can brush your teeth. That's something to do. Two things. I, right I didn't. I, I didn't understand all, all this obsession. Like they couldn't like just because sometimes, you know. So you from Philadelphia, right? Mm, well, Chester, PA, about ten minutes out of there. Okay, so okay, so we, I, you know, in the South, man, we would just like sit on the porch, right? That's something to do. Like that. That yeah. was a thing. But apparently in New York, they was doing nightclubs at like five in the afternoon. You know, I don't know what was happening, man. Like they just they, they always, wanted action. They wanted entertainment. Like it was boring. It's nothing to do. I'm like, we watch the TV. Like that's what we're doing. We're, we're watching. We watch the TV. I don't know what are y'all doing. And then when I watched the uh, uh, how they see us, I found out they didn't want it to be wilding. They didn't want we didn't wild down in the south. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be wilding, and we didn't do the wilding. So I think that was. Now, for those of our audience that don't know what wild it is, could you explain? <laughs> so, yeah, first off, you need to get on Netflix. Yeah, Brian, you need to get on Netflix and watch 
how they see us. This is a very monumental documentary, not documentary, but mm-hmm. a, a recap. But Wilding is basically young groups of African-Americans or minority children. I don't know if it's just African-Americans, but just kids, right? Just hanging out, man. Just walking around, cracking jokes. But they're doing it as a group. And the bigger the group gets, it makes adults concerned that they were up to uh, criminal yeah. activity. They were, they, were not, they were just hanging out. This is like, imagine a playground, but downtown somewhere, like in a city. Like a playground of kids just walking, cracking jokes, throwing rocks. Wild. Kids stuff. Yeah, doing, being kids. But in an unrestrained area, they just out here in the park. Yeah, y'all didn't even have them kind of numbers. Nah, man, we wouldn't do it no while, <laughs> man. Like, if you had a big family, like somebody had their cousins and their brothers and sisters, but nobody so messed with that. Walking family. down a dirt road or something? Man, we got paved roads. What are you talking about, man? We had <laughs> I'm like, where are they down by the creek? Where are they wild? <laughs> We we had no interest in Wilder. Like <laughs> I, I don't That's think that was right. <laughs> yeah, what's so great about that? Right. Like, what are y'all doing? Y'all can get in trouble. I didn't like getting in trouble. Well, you did say you was a nerd, so that may oh, have yeah, been. I, 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 I wanted to avoid trouble. <laughs> it just didn't make sense to your your brain. Yeah, like that didn't add up. Like we just gonna go out here and get in trouble because. I was in trouble at home. Them all my like, I stopped getting. I think I got off punishment, like in the eighth grade, like permanently for for from the from from middle from my like elementary school to the eighth grade. I was on punishment. Like it, I was on punishment more than I wasn't. <laughs> so I didn't understand how I'm gonna go out in the public and do some more stuff to get in some more punishment. Like, I was already in punishment. Like my, You couldn't sneeze in my house, man, and you was on punishment. Like, Oh, it was t- the rules was tight. Oh, it was tight, man. It was tight. My dad was running a tight ship. You would have thought he was in the military. My dad wasn't even in the army. <laughs> but that's how he ran it. That's how he ran his family. He like he, I should have like, man, you should have just joined the army, man, and got this out of you, bro. You, you, know, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you, you heard of F3. Like the workout guys that they be working out. Mm-hmm. It started in Charlotte, matter of fact. That's what they doing, man. It's like a bunch of adults that want to be in the army. They outside running around, doing push-ups in the grass. I, I used to do that for a little while. And I was like, man, I've been to the military. I don't want to. I want to go in. And, I want to work out inside. I want to work out. Yeah. Why you doubling up? With air conditioning and gym. You, you, like, you oh. serve. You going to serve yeah. again? <laughs> I'm gonna get up out of my bed at five in the morning to go roll around on the ground with Ted from accounting. No, I'm not doing that, man. So <laughs> yeah, that's what my dad well, should have did. He should have did at least F three, but they ain't have well, it back then. So he was, well, that's uh, but that's another fascinating part about about your story is that you were you were in the military. So what uh, what branch and, and you know what years and all that stuff. Okay, so yeah, so I graduated from high school in '93, and so here's the <laughs> here's a great story. Mm-hmm. So I'm the oldest of three. You know, we were in a probably lower middle class um, family. No one in my immediate family had gone to college, mm-hmm. so I had attended on going to South Carolina State. I applied to one college, South Carolina State. I got accepted. 
but I didn't have any money. Like I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. And then I didn't want to be the kid that went to college and couldn't do anything, but like do homework. That's what I was doing in high school. So I was like, I want to have some, I want to have a car. I want to have the ability to get a haircut. I want to get some clothes. Like I wanted to have some finances. Right. So my father never talked to me about like, money but he wanted me to go to college he was really pressing me to go to college and i started looking at like military options so i remember the day that i decided to join the military because i was i was really up in the air if somebody just would have said hey man we have money for you to go to college and we can get you this car and you'll have some spending but you know you'll get a little job i would have been a freshman that fall at uh south carolina state so I'm sitting in there Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. I'm never going to forget this, man. I'm sitting in the living room watching like golf and I'm not even a golf guy. Like it's just wasn't nothing to do. Like my cousins were saying all the time. I was just sitting in there watching, <laughs> watching golf. My uncle and my dad walk in the door and this is my uncle Checky, who was a little younger than my dad. Now I didn't know it at the time, but my uncle had gone to college. He actually was probably like 40. 14 hours short of a degree. Like he should get his degree. I don't know why he doesn't have his degree. But my dad comes in the comes in the in the house with my uncle and he tells me to turn off the TV. I turn the TV off. My dad tells me, Hey, you need to go to college, son. I was like, All right. We done had this conversation before. But he's this time he had he had his he he brought in the closer. He brought in my uncle. He said, you need to go to college and your uncle Checky's gonna tell you why. So I sat up in the seat. I said, okay, we about to talk about some money. Like this is what I've been waiting on. We about to talk about this money, how we gonna I'm gonna get it every month. You know, they're gonna pay the tuition. Like I just gonna go down. Man, my uncle looks at me and says, Hey man, you need to go to college because girls are there. <laughs> what? <laughs> I enlisted Monday morning. <laughs> I enlisted Monday morning. Girls. <laughs> girls. Dude, there was girls was in my neighborhood. I, I knew that. Like, girls? Did your dad know that that's what he had waiting to talk about? I think so, man. I think they were somewhere. And my dad might have was lamenting the fact that, man, I, I think this boy about to join the military, man. I, I really... I really can't say anything to him to change his mind. And my uncle was like, you know what? I need to talk to him. Mm. I can provide some perspective. And he hit me with that girls. Girls. <laughs> I knew in that moment I was enlisted. Like I knew like if somebody would have walked out, I would have signed right then. I was hey man. I would have <laughs> did the open office in my living room. All right. I solemnly swear all <laughs> right there. All enemies, foreign and domestic. What? Did, so did, you, did you did your family have a history of military service? Kinda. Like I had an uncle. My uncle who went to college, you know, he he was like, I think he was like in the National Guard. My uncle who told me the, the girls, uh, that guy. I had another uncle. So there were some family members. That, but it wasn't like that, you know? It wasn't like, oh, that was the expectation mm -hmm. that you're going to mm -hmm. join the military, like your Uncle Earl. You know, it wasn't like, 
Like some people use that. My grandfather served. Like, we had people. They, you know, we didn't even call it the military. We called it service. Mm. Like, you know, oh, you know, he joined service. You going out there to join the service? So, so then, what, what, you know, percentage of that do you think was some some loyalty to serving, and and how much of it was a, a real opportunity? It was both. I, I would probably say uh, about fifty fifty because I was in the I was in ROTC like my whole high school career. I think I might have I might have not done ROTC one of those years, but I know my freshman. My freshman, probably my freshman, junior, senior year, I was in ROTC. I dug the military. I, you know, I, I definitely was open to to serving. Um, I, I I wasn't one of I wasn't like some some of the guys I've met over the years. Like they they're patriots. You know, like hey man, they, there's a burning desire to serve. I was open to serve, and then it, I saw an opportunity for me to pay for college. So. Um, when you put those two together, it was it made the most sense, and especially looking at my options, because it was like, OK, I could have sat out and just worked for a year at home and then probably went to school a year. But I, I felt like if I would have like taken a gap year, that's what they call it now. But if I would have just not gone right after after high school, I probably wouldn't have gone. Like, I think I just would have gotten a job locally and just kind of worked my way up, whatever. Uh, profession I was in then I could have went to to college and just I felt like I just would have struggled like I might have went and I might have been there uh, for a year but then I would have been back home you know if if folks aren't paying and I was like how am I going to accumulate that amount of money working part-time and if if someone wasn't going to help me pay for it so I the, the military just seemed like the best the best option to to finance my education and and to serve so then <clears throat> how how long were you enlisted? Man, I did. So I did four years active right after high after high school. I went to college and I got commissioned. So I did four years active duty. I did four years in the reserves while I was in college. Then I got commissioned after college. So I probably did about a total of 12 years in the military. Oh, wow. And then a good bit of overseas stuff, right? What, what are some a of the little bit, A little bit. I spent a year in Korea. That was my first duty station. Um, and then I just did when I was in Fort Stewart, that's in Hinesville. We did a lot of, uh, training deployments, but I, I never went, I never went, uh, overseas or anything like that, but I spent a year in Korea. So if anybody's looking at doing, you know, entering the military, what is your recommendation in terms of how they should make that decision? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Cause I guess where I am now in life, it seems so far away, like back then. I was all like, let's do it, set it up, like get it done. Like, um, I think that the valuable part for me about the military was I was able to do four years. Now, if I had to look at doing it again, I probably would have did two years. Okay. Because uh, the way it was set up back then, I did the GI Bill in the Montgomery College Fund. That that was one of the main reasons I joined the Army because they 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 were the only ones that had that option. You could do two years for twenty thousand three years for 25 or four years for 30. Mm. So I did four for 30, but 30 couldn't pay for a year of college now. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I went four years to pay. that, that covered $30,000 covered. I walked away with no debt. Oh my gosh. You can, do, you can barely do a year. I mean, it's, 
in some places you can't even get a year. Like here in South Carolina, like a private school like Furman, Furman's probably forty five a year. Man, you got private high schools. In- <laughs> right, right. I mean, I worked at yeah, I worked at this school here in town. It was twenty thousand a year. Man, yeah, that's so. Then, so then, but that that raises an interesting question for me because you know I think with everything we see going on in in this country, and from Kaepernick to this point, uh, what is your kind of perspective on it? Being that you served, but also as as a black man in this country and from the South. Wow. So I got one of the best. I ain't gonna say the best, but I have one of the most interesting perspectives. I served in the military before 9-11. It's a different day. Hmm. So 9-11 shifted the power. Like when I was in the army, people could care less that you were in the army. Like unless you were a part of their family. But hmm. nobody was paying for my meals. Nobody. I mean, it, it was a little bit more hostile towards service members. I mean, even when I was in college, I can remember... You know, I think there were days you we had to wear our uniform like maybe once a week or something like that. And I had professors who had, you know, protested the Vietnam War. So they would be very vocal about their opinion of the military um, at the time. I remember marching in parades. Like, so we were in Fort Stewart, which is in Hinesville, Georgia. So what would happen, sometimes you would get sent to these smaller, so like if you're in Charlotte, you may get sent to Gastonia. You may get sent to Lake Norman, like a smaller community to do a parade, right? Mooresville, mm-hmm. something like that. So I remember doing a parade at this little small town in Georgia. And man, people like legitimately throwing rocks at us while we were like in a Memorial Day parade, like a, like a parade. And these like uh, American citizens, bro, like what? What's going through your mind marching out there with these rocks coming out there? So I always like I, I see the military in a very unique, <laughs> especially post nine eleven. Because now you know, I think I w- I was in the reserves during nine eleven, so I did see the shift. But I was like, wow. And even even like the respect level, like I remember when I was joining, man, like my friends were like, man, what are you joining? White man's army. Like, ain't nobody going to be yelling at me, telling me what, man, it was crazy. I felt like I was like really stepping out there doing something that was like against the grade. <laughs> Bro, I could Dude. just picture you out there. Like what you're not going to do is throw another rock on rock. Bro, we just marching in the parade. We here for y'all. What you throwing rocks for, homie? And then that's the other problem, too. The other problem is, like, you go to these cities and, like, the soldiers are messing with the women. So now you, like, the, the locals, it's similar to, like, going to college, I guess. Yeah. You know, you go to college and, like, the local guys are like, man, forget those college dudes. Oh, I went to Howard. You know I know that. Oh. Them cats in D.C., man, yeah. Oh. Yeah, some of the locals, man, they be, don't be feeling that. City. Like, at least D.C.'s a real city. We were in the rural America, bro. It was <sighs> Hinesville, Georgia, man. Ain't no, ain't no options. Ain't a whole lot of options to be sitting. Wow. So, so yeah, you... man, I, I, I really, I mean, my, my whole thing was like, 
you know, I saw racism. So I this so this is a it's just another great story, man. So I was in the military from '93 to '97, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, man, I, I you know I really feel that the military is a microcosm of society. You know, we saw a lot of things that happened in the societal standpoint, but just at a smaller level in the military, man. So I remember, so I'm in field artillery. That was another issue that was like, hey, I, that's all dudes. So I, the first my four years in the military, I spent serving with all men. Like I had mm. no women I served with because I was in combat arms, field artillery. And at that time they didn't permit women to serve. And so it was just like savagery. Like, mm. like the mentality, the cats I was hanging, like, so you got like sheltered Mike Goodwin from small town, South Carolina, thrown in here with a bunch of adult men that live life tremendously different than I was aware of life for life to be lived right so mm. i'm in here like i'm with the, with the toughest the strongest the drinking in this you know the smoking this you know the biggest baddest ugliest dudes at the party that, those are my guys like that's oh, what i'm with oh <laughs> i can remember we was a you know fort stewart georgia right so one of our one of my so we were in this i guess we call them squads or ooh, they were called uh artillery has different language so like if it's a like we wouldn't call companies we would call batteries so i think we were a squad or whatever our little individual group is like eight of us so a little guy in my squad he started dating a girl from a local girl man and she was young like young like maybe like 16 young so but you know that time he the kid's probably 18 i mean he's not an old man but and like her parents were super cool with it, so they would come and pick him up from from the barracks, right? So they, I don't know, I don't know how they, I don't know, I, I don't know how this situation set up. I don't know how he met this young lady, but I would see her, I would see her parents come pick him up. He would go get in the car, they drive off. So I, you know, we watched, and this 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 kid's from Wisconsin, you know, and uh, you know, this was my guy. You know, we were in the same squad together. But as he spent time with this family, man, I, I just saw him kind of change, like his disposition. Mm-hmm. This white dude too, and he was like how he was, you know, interacting. So I remember we went on the field exercise. You know, you you would go out to the field for maybe like a week at a time, and it was like you stayed out there. We ran these uh, fire missions, these kind of simulated war type things, trainings. So I was in charge of. So it was like we had the, the the howitzer, which is the gun that shoots, and then we had an ammunition car- carrier that had all the munitions in it. So I was over mm-hmm. the fast speed, the the, the 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 ammunition. I was like in charge of that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get dude to do stuff. Like so, I said, "Hey man, Wallace, you need to do you know pull guard duty or whatever." He he used to be super resistant. Like mm-hmm. I can't take orders from you, like man, and and, and, it, and it got to it got to a head. It's like, dude, what is going on? Like. Hey man, why you? What's the deal? And so, like one time, we almost went to blows because I was just like, "Hey man, put your helmet on, put your Kevlar on, put your you know stuff on, and go get out there and go and do it." We, me and you, gonna have some problems, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, somebody intervened. So we got back to uh, we got back. Well, even before then, I, I kind of jumped the story, but. 
but so Wallace was going to hang out with this girl, you know, her, her family, he was dating her. Then all of a sudden, Wallace throws a Confederate flag up in the barracks, like in his room. Mr. Wisconsin. I'm like, what this cat know about? The Confederate flag. Right. So then we go out to this this field exercise. So we have our little a little fracas, you know, a little run in in the field. So then we get back. So we spend a you know a week in the field, but then we go to the wash motor. We go to like the wash. I guess it's like a, a car wash for the, but for tanks. It's like the wash area. We got to get mm-hmm. all the mud and stuff. So I'm telling Wallace like we you know we got to clean this up, do that. I'm like Wallace. Uh, you know, I think it, Wallace was like, nah, standing right. I ain't mean to say dude's name, but I, <laughs> but that was his last name. So I ain't say his whole name. So he was standing around doing something. I'm like, hey, man, you need to get up under there and get the mud, you know, under the, under the track. So you had to get under the vehicle and get, you had to have like a, a tent pig. Mm-hmm. So I handed him the tent pig. I was like, man, hey, man, get under there and get the mud. He threw the tent pig like at the at my feet. Like, I ain't doing nothing, you know, blankety, blankety, blankety. Threw it at my feet, and he was close enough to where I just served him a two piece and a biscuit. Like it wasn't even like it was. Just, it was just. It was just super like. Like it was just like like I could like I couldn't restrain it because we had already 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 had issues. Like I was already, and that morning I was like. I'm not going to tell you this again, Wallace. Dude, I'm sick of this attitude. I don't know what's going on with you, but uh, you super resisted every time I tell you to do something. So when he threw that thing, man, he threw that little that little stake at my feet. I just, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so I got myself into a little trouble. <laughs> but it was one of the things of like, you know, like when you do something and your parents proud of you, but they can't like say good job, you know, it's like, Hey man, you should have right. did that. But I, I I'm glad you did that. Good job, man. So that's how the that's how the, the that's how the uh, like the first sergeants and all the high enlisted folks were like, hey man, you should not have been doing that. And then you know, people were like, Man, who was the who's Sugar Ray Leonard out here? Like, you know, who who is out here throwing these hands in the wa- in the motor pool? <laughs> And the crazy part was like I had won, like you you they have these different competitions where you're like soldier of the week, soldier of the month. So I had won like two of those. So I like became soldier of the month, soldier, soldier of the week, soldier of the month. And I was supposed to go to the next level to maybe be like soldier of like the post or something. But that was one of my punishments. I couldn't move forward. We might be having in, a quick issue that. here. I'm, I'm, also I'm not hearing you, Mike. To like this leadership training. Uh, for 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 the next level, of like in- oh, there, okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I lost you for a second, but I got you. Okay, now. so I, I was supposed to go on in this competition where I was like soldier of the month, so you know, to the next level. I you know I got, but they I got like a slap on the hand for for doing it, but it it, it really, but it, but that was an example of like, man, we hear brothers in arms, but I mm. watched this guy be influenced by outside forces in the military and you know i knew guys in the military who were not um for equality you know they wasn't for mm. i remember man i remember wearing a, a dr king i had a dr king shirt on one morning going to like breakfast 
and somebody had like some little comments and I didn't even recognize it at the time, but this guy made these comments and I just kind of heard it and didn't hear it. And Mm -hmm. as I thought about it later, I was like, Hey man, you know, Dr. King is a respected member of my community. This is somebody who I admire. I, you know, I hold a high regard, even if I'm in the army, that doesn't mean that I can't have a respect for how Dr. King lived his life. So, it was, you know, I saw a lot of of things that, you know, when people talk about Kaepernick, there are soldiers that say, hey, man, he ha- we have no problem with him. That's not disrespecting the flag. So so where did where did you fall? Is that where you fell on it? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I was totally like, come on, man. First off, it wasn't about the flag. Right. Right. So like, how we get there? Like he, you know, he legitimately was asking, like, what? Like, I think he was sitting down during the during the first time, and I think the teammate went to him and was like, "Yo, hey man, and, that's and, being disrespectful. It looks like you're disregarding." Mm-hmm. And then I heard he got with, uh, I forget who it was that he got with, but he got yeah, with, with somebody that had served, right? Right. Yeah. And he told him, look, you know, sitting down is uh, not not great, but, you yeah, know, taking looks, a knee is right, then, right, right. That's the that's the way it went. So that was the like, hey, man, I'm doing this in, to not be disrespectful towards the military. But, man, I, I think what happens a lot of times is it's easy for things to become political. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, man, I, I, I love my country. I served. And uh, I, that's one thing, you know, I. People, I find it interesting, like, people question your patriotism. Like, I don't know how you can question my patriotism. Like, I think you need to take right. that one off the table. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. That's a hard argument with your resume. <laughs> like, I, I'm good. <laughs> you, you I think I should mind. <laughs> I, I almost got in trouble one time. At the, uh, you know how you, you know, we travel, man, before all this COVID stuff. And you normally when you go... It's those small little airports that you have the most problem with TSA. Like you go through Atlanta, you go through Charlotte, nobody got a problem. But you go through some, you know, small one terminal airport and they going through everything. And that happened. Like somebody went through my bag and they they pulled like some lotion or something. It was more than three ounces. And the person kind of made the assumption of like, yeah, you could be a terrorist. I'm like, man, I served in the military. Who you talking about? Like, I just immediately like went on ten, like a terrorist. Right. You know who you talking right. to? Come on, man. Wow. wow. I'm a commissioned officer in the military. Like, I, I I enlisted, but then I went and got commissioned. So I've been a, a soldier and I've been an officer. So come on, man, stop playing these games. But that that I think is I'm glad you I'm glad you said that and and I'm glad you gave that perspective because I think a lot of times when we hear this conversation, people talk as if soldiers only feel one way, and yeah. that you know he was disrespecting the troops. Well, well, brother, good one's a troop, but he right. doesn't feel disrespect. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's like I think, but that is you know a broader com- conversation about what, right, right about what white supremacy is because people get you know they, they get like terrified when they hear that term or they get whatever, but it's like, no, it's just this idea that y'all are the standard and exactly. anything that, that diverse, you know, so they decide what patriotism is. I pay my damn taxes, but you decide <laughs> what patriotism is for me. Dude, one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite movies is the soldier story. Like 
That's mm. one of my favorite stories. You have never seen that, bro? I've Man, never you seen gotta it. see All Star cast. You got Denzel Washington, and then there's Robert Townsend. You got uh, what's the good? What, uh, Richard Alec Greer, uh, Patty. Oh, David Allen Greer. David, I'm talking about Richard Allen Greer. Oh, David. that's my guy. Okay, I got it. David Alec Greer, Patty Young, Patty the Bell. Uh, the dude. They don't name people this anymore. Adolf. Uh, what's what's my man? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You know, not rough. That's basketball player, but the guy that played the father for the color purple. You know, she got that nasty woman disease. The little short little dude. Oh, the little light skinned dude. Yeah, he was like the main cat man. The dude from in the heat of the night. They had uh, they had uh, that fella in there. Also, they had an all star cast. Oh, all star cast, man! I'm telling you, it's worth your time, man. When you see it, text me, man. But that was like. It's a great, man, it's a great movie, especially it's relevant to what's happening in these times. Uh, but one of the, that, that movie, it, it, it typifies or it, it, it um, personifies one of my proudest moments in life was becoming an African-American officer, like to be a mm. member of the officer corps as an African-American. That, that did something to me personally. That was a personal achievement because again, if you look at the army, the army was founded in 1775. The first mm. commission black officer didn't happen until like 1873. It's almost a hundred like, years. On, man. Yeah, man. And then even, you know, that movie probably was set in 1940. And uh the black officer that was that was being played by and he the night guy, he the, I don't know his name, but he was like an anomaly. Like they were like. The soldiers was like, yo, it's a black art. Like, the pride that they had. Like, sir, man, mm. we've never seen, uh, you know, a brother with, with bars on before. So that, that that my you know, my time in the military definitely is a special, was a special part of my life. And, and so I would say to people, like, the, the initial question, I would definitely um, encourage folks to examine or research the option. Like, I think people have more opportunity to do other things now but I, I think back then that was probably one of the best decisions i could have made so then with the with the military and i don't i don't want to stay on it too long i, I know we're gonna have you i know we're gonna have you back but it's just so fascinating man because part you know part of my question is you know you said it was you know you're very patriotic and you know you being a student of history and, and me knowing some myself you know with what black folks have been through in this country where did that sense, where did that love come from being, being how, you know, we've been treated? Yeah, I think it came from the opportunity, you know, you know, we, we, many of us have the, uh, the idea in life that we stand on the shoulders of others. And I felt like this was my opportunity to be a part of black history, you know, I think mm. you know, doing what we do and, and, and living a life of significance is, is it, it fits that. But I think there's certain things that you can do to sign your name to, Hey man, you know, we were not able to do this. So I, I think that that was something for me that was like, you know, I want to walk in this path. Like I, I have a lot of, and, and, and I'm the kind of person like, Structure is important to me. Like I, 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 I love tradition. I need structure. So I think the army, especially where I was in that moment in my life, like I kind of was a knucklehead. 
I wasn't mm-hmm. a troublemaker and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to do anything that probably would have jeopardized my future. But I knew that the army would have gotten from me what I needed it to do. Like I would have grew up. I would have became a man. I would have been professional. And I, I, man, and I think it's done so much for me just in terms of that was my introduction to adulthood. So, I mean, even though I'm not currently serving, much of how I carry myself is in a militaristic type of way. Like I, I still, a lot of those lessons haven't been lost on me. Bro, I, I'm thinking about you now, and I'm like, yeah, like your posture is crazy. Like, we'll be, I'm like, I bet now I'm, I'm putting the dots together. I'm like, yeah, that's probably where that comes from. Because I remember I see you walking. I'm like, this brother, I'm like, he got starch in his spine. Like, this is, I mean, he Yo, never like, stopped I move, it. I move. That's how I move. Like, man, I, I get up super early. I, I like if I'm like when I used to come to the comedy zone. Like, I would be in the parking lot an hour before the show. Like, just. Because wow. I knew it was hard to get a park. Like, so I was like, man, why pull up at the last minute and don't have a park? So I mean I'd be in the parking lot where people are leaving their jobs, like just post it up. That's how <laughs> Bro, I get the place so early. I, I I started wondering if it was really gonna happen. I'm like, are we doing anything something happening here tonight? <laughs> I thought hey. <laughs> now look, now see, and that's and that's the amazing thing, cause you are that, you know, that way about it. And me, man, I done had times where they called me, talk about where were you at? I'm home with my roll ball and in the bed. I'm like, what you doing where I'm at? They're like, we got a show tonight. A show tonight. <laughs> and then I gave the classic line. You know the line. Oh, All right, I'm, I'm, I'm 15 minutes away. So, so then speaking of, uh, actually speaking of the comedy zone, that's where we met. Uh, I think it was 2013. The Yeah. I don't remember what year it was, but yeah, we were in the same class. Yeah. And, uh, I remember Mike in that class and I was like, Oh, this brother's funny. And you know, I'd be, we keep it real. You couldn't say that about everybody in that class, <laughs> but but, you know, Mike was one of the ones where it's like, nah, this brother got seasoning. And I remember one time you and Joel were talking, Joel yeah, Pace. Yeah, we had a little. A little yeah, yeah. And, and Joel was like, uh, you know, Joel in that class, he didn't think nobody had three minutes. And Mike had been performing <laughs> I guess, you know, all over the place. He was a working comic. So a right. lot of that, was, I think, for you to make, you know, make connections and, <clears throat> you know, become familiar with, with the club. But, you know, Joel was... <laughs> Talking like, and Mike Joe's like, who here thinks they have forty five minutes? And Mike raised his hand. I don't know who else raised their hand, but Mike raised his hand, and he said, "Dude, Joe's like, you know, you don't have forty five minutes." And Mike, Mike was like, "Nah, I got forty five minutes." Like Mike, <laughs> <laughs> so you remember that, right, dude? So here's the here's the backstory of it. I had been doing comedy for about four years. But I had only been doing it in churches. So oh. I had heard about the comedy class and I said, man, I want to do some clubs. Like I want to get in the club. So that was like my, I was super intentional of coming to Charlotte. Like I could have done a class or, you know, some, you know, local thing or whatever. But I was like, I knew that the zone had opportunities to work. So that was kind of my deal. Like I was coming to Charlotte because I think I'd heard like maybe a buddy of mine. I think Marty had done something similar. 
mm-hmm. like earlier. I think he might have did the class and was talking about it. So I, that was my whole game plan, like to come to the do the class and you know get you know get whatever tips or stuff. I, you know, I was I was there to learn. I wasn't like a butthole or nothing. I was I was you know following the rules. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when he asked that question, like how many people have you know time, I was like, no, I, I really do. And, and I think the working presumption for them is that anybody taking that class didn't have your level of experience. I think that was the assumption, but it was like, uh, Mike was like, no, no, like I got a show next week. I'm doing an hour, I'm doing an hour next week down in, uh, <laughs> so, but, but you, right, but I'm glad that's how I am, man. People don't normally, like, I'm always like, where this dude came from? Like, that's the common refrain for my life. Like, where'd you come from, man? And I just, <laughs> I, I just remember laughing and I remember Mike's laugh, Brian, Mike has this laugh. Well, he'll be like, you'll say something, and then it might be a second or two that go by, and all of a sudden you hear, ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> my, one of my favorite laughs in comedy, Mike Goodwin, as one of my top five favorite laughs. No question. Ah! Oh, man. <laughs> and, dude, Will was legitimately funny. Like, if we had 12 people in that class, maybe five people, like, had some jokes. That's fair. That's fair. So Thank me and Mike would me and Mike would talk like after class and be cracking up. So like it when somebody funny off stage like that, like you know, okay, like this dude is just funny. So you know, me and Mike always <clears throat> kind of got along after that. But then, you know, we used to talk, and you had kind of told me before, and I wanted to talk about it with you on the podcast about how you mentioned doing. Uh, performing in churches and then sometimes right, right, in comedy right. many times you get branded as a church comic and that can kind of limit you right so what, what was your uh, take on that yeah well that was the whole thing with the comedy zone like i i don't know if y'all the guy i got started opening for was a guy named akatunde oh yeah and so akatunde yeah akatunde was a was a road comic man so he was a road comic but then he joined my church and was like i gotta get out of this club and so like he just totally got out of clubs and was just doing churches. And like he had done clubs for probably 15 years up to that point. And so it's like I was kind of like a disciple of his of his comedy. So like he wasn't doing clubs. I wasn't doing clubs. But I wasn't doing clubs because I didn't want to do clubs. I wasn't doing clubs just because Ak was like, no, nah, man, you know, you ain't really missing nothing. And I was working. You know, I was working pretty regularly. But I always wanted to just. I just wanted to make people laugh. Like I never went into it. Like I just want to do churches. I just want to do like, I was just like, man, I want to do comedy. And the opportunity that presented itself was at churches. Like it was just like a, a, a great transition for me. Cause even in Columbia, we had one club, but you know, I open mic stuff and it wasn't like a scene that was really fostering young comics. So I kind of just got into Ox wing and I looked up and, you know, it was like, man, I've been doing this thing for four years. I'm, I'm starting to get, you know, I'm starting to headline these church events and these birthday parties and family reunions. Like I, I always thought of myself as like Rocky in terms of like training. Like if you look at how Rocky trained versus the Russians, like I was in freezers punching meat. You know, I was like running in alleys and, and I was doing all this unorthodox training 
said, I was like, man, I really think I could go inside of clubs. So clubs to me was like, uh, it was like, uh, I wanted, that was like the next step. Cause I mean, I was doing well in, in churches and it wasn't like I didn't want to, and I didn't stop doing churches. I just, I just knew, I just had to see what I would do in a club, man. I just, and, and, and I think when you don't do something for so long, it seems a little unattainable, right? It just seems like, like people will say all the time, they'll come up there and like, man, I really want to do comedy. Now, if they go and do comedy that next weekend, it doesn't seem that daunting. But if you right. come to open mics and come to shows for four years and you're like, man, I really want to get on that stage. But it seems so unsurmountable. It's like, oh, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. If and that's kind of a little bit where I was with it. So I said, I'm going to do this class. And the class was, man, what was that like? Eight weeks? I mean, it was, man, I would drive an hour and a half to come to this class, and then I would have to drive back another hour. You know, I was doing this every week. I think we were doing like every Wednesday or something. Yeah, middle of the week. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was a financial obligation because it wasn't a cheap class. I don't think, I mean, it wasn't super expensive, but. A few hundred, for sure. Right. So, I mean, I I made that, to me, it was like an investment. I was like, okay, I'm going to go and see how this works. And uh, once I got in there, I was like, man, my stuff works. Because I was just like, maybe I had to write a whole new thing. Like, the stuff I was doing, because I, I wouldn't, I'm not, I work I work churches, but I'm not a churchy comedian, right? I, I'm not just like, oh, the ushers wear this particular, man, and the, and the pastor, boy, you remember like when? detail, like. Yeah, like you had to grow up in the church to know what I'm talking about. Like, no, I just was clean more than anything. I mean, I I, I had church material, but. And so I kind of likened my transition from the church to the clubs, kind of like from college football to the NFL, because the speed mm. is so much different. So even if you're playing in the SEC, the league is the league. Like it doesn't matter. Uh, the game's faster, man, and the people are more talented. The club, the, the the crowds are more savvy. They're more like impatient. I think that. Uh, and then I did I did both. Like I was working black churches and white churches, like. So man, I'm I'm the kind of comment, man, you look up and I could be anywhere. Like that's the kind of stuff. <laughs> Mike was doing what? Like you can look at the audience and be all church white people. It's Mike on stage. <laughs> like, I mean, and be loving you. I'm talking about loving you. Right. <laughs> so yeah, man, I I I think that's I, I really found myself into like so so that kind of like that church foundation just gave me a good base. And then when I started getting in them clubs, man, it was just like trial by fire. But I had a lot in my toolbox, so I could navigate a lot better. Now, now with with going into the, the churches and performing clean, was that a was that a conscious decision, or was it like I don't use money expletives in my conversation generally? It's so, both. Yeah, it, I mean, it was it was definitely like this is who I am. Like, you know, I, I, this is me. So I'm just going to show up as Mike Goodwin. And, and this is, this is what it is. So I wasn't like a, it wasn't a, like a, like clean, you make more money. Cause you know, that's what it, in the class, they kind of were giving you that kind of perspective. Like, Hey guys, don't just, dis- cause people kind of disrespect clean. Like it's like, oh, hello, clean, calm. Right, and, and it's harder. It, it's harder. <laughs> it's like, a little clean, but don't you know? But the way they were talking about in the class, like, hey man, don't poo poo clean because you're gonna make money. You know these church comics, and they are like, quote, like my peers in the church ran. I think we all are comedians, but they are folks that just solely do churches. And if you look at their stuff, you're like, 
that's funny. Like, I don't get it. Like, sometimes you'll watch somebody, and then I feel like a lot of times folks are just, if it's not going well, you start sharing a testimony or, you know, like kind of. Do you be like, hey, man, that's not what they brought you in here for. They brought you in here telling these jokes. So have you dealt with sort of the, the stigma of, of being a quote unquote church comic when trying oh, yeah. to book work? Oh, yeah. I, well, I, I think that um, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's in terms of booking work. I think uh, I think when people I, I, one thing I noticed pretty quickly when my like family members or people would introduce me. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, he does, you know, he does church comedy. You know, he does, he does. You know, like they'll just say, hey, this is my buddy Mike, he does comedy. And people are like, comedy. Oh no, no, it's 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 church comedy. You know, he does it for the for churches, you know. So it's kind of like I felt like I was like a JV player, right? Yeah, <laughs> like some kind of sub genre. Yeah, like you know, he, yeah, he doing, but you know, for the churches, you know, for the churches, low pressure, safety net. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, you know. I don't know what they talking about over there, but you know, it's the little, little churches, little, little tees, you know, the little, little it's home Yeah, look, little, little comedy. It's little, little church comedy. He ain't talking about no hard hitting topics, you know. <laughs> but but your jokes was but your jokes was hitting in the clubs, dude. Because it was funny, man. Right, like because I always like my whole thing was just like, if I'm gonna do it, and it, it, whether it's comedy, whatever, like I'm gonna put my best foot forward, man. And I'm funny, like, and that's what I think I figured out. I think I figured out, man. My perspective is funny. I have something to say. I got a unique way of seeing things, and it works. And then you know some of my favorite. I mean, I. I, I, this, I, I'm not going to say this too loud because it's got me in trouble on another podcast with my wife. But I used to say I was the modern day Bill Cosby. But you know, oh, I, I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, raping nobody. I just was. <laughs> I didn't say what I was I said. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the, the rape free version. Yeah, I wasn't raping. I wasn't even drugging. I wasn't even drugging. I was just doing. I was just doing jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Telling jokes. And a family a man. And you and not- that, that, I was that was it. I mean, that was the perfect like, yo, this is my lane. And my man's out here wilding. He out here cutting up all the Worst thing that happened was I told my wife when I first got started, she was my girlfriend at the time. But I told I was naming her. She was like, you know, you being out on the road and I don't know and this and that. I said I started naming off comedians. Look at such and such. Look at such and such. What about such and such? They holding it down, right? What about such and such, brother? I'm talking about one by one. These cats went down, and I'm oh like, all right. <laughs> I must have named about six people. Five oh, of them got cheap in the next year. <laughs> I said I'm down to one, and I think my one might have been Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no. I said they gonna make me retire. Oh, dude, I'm talking about you. I was Cosby 2.0, man. Like, <laughs> hey, you could have told me, Bill, young Bill Cosby. I would not have been offended. Like, hey, man, this is what I'm doing. Now, was that was your menta- Was that a specific? Like, was that an intentional choice? Because I'm thinking about how you you know you do word of the day, and I think it's called something different now, right? Yeah, mental acuity Monday, right? Mental acuity Monday. So I've all so when I've seen what you've put out, I've seen an emphasis on thoughtful, 
you know, a, a, you know, something a little more, you know, with an educational bend to it. Right. Uh, you you don't you don't dumb it down for anybody. Matter of fact, you try to almost put that into the the culture that you know that that kind of language and and you know ability to articulate yourself in a certain way. You you present that to people. Is that an intentional choice? Like yeah, to- man. I, I just I just really am comfortable being who I am. You know, that's just what I. But that was the beautiful thing about me when I found comedy. Like, I thought I would have found comedy when I was a younger cat. I might have been trying to do a bunch of other people's stuff. And I just would have started out parroting somebody else. And, you know, but Cosby was an example, but I just knew I got a lot to offer. Like, I, I knew, you know, I, you know, I knew that I enjoyed words. I knew that I was a military dude. I, I had a family. So I was like, man, I can mine my material from me. And, and even with the social media stuff, like content creation, I'm in, a, I'm in a unique position because I feel like when I started, I feel like I'm in the old guard. Like, so the guys I started with, you know, guys, not started with, but guys who kind of mentored me, guys like Akatunde, Spanky Brown, Sean Jones, you know, those are like guys who I had access to. They were like super no social media. They were like, don't put anything on. You know, all the the advice I was getting from the vets at the time was you don't put your stuff online. People steal it. Uh, When they show up to the show, they already know it. So it was like this huge resistance to social media. It was this huge like, hey, man, don't put out any content like that. Don't put your don't put your setup. Don't don't. Mm fall it's a trick if you want what i heard when i was a young comic was kill on stage you kill on stage and the world is your oyster you know you just murder on stage and all that you need merchandise will show up management will show up shows will show you just go and kill and then like under my feet that shifted and and it became why don't you have stuff online? And what is your skits and your, you know, your your content? So I, I quickly made the adjustment. Like I can't live like the older cats were telling me to like not be present in the virtual space. But I wanted to be in the virtual space as myself. I didn't want to like, yeah, I didn't want to just do what everybody else was doing. And so that's kind of how I came up with, you know, word of the day. It was like my version of trying to you know, put out content. So then with Cosby, looking back at it, the creation of that show, he was very intentional about, I want America to see this image of an upwardly mobile black family. Cause we hadn't right. seen that on television right. previous to that. Right. So with you, it doesn't sound like you're trying to present an image. I mean, it's who you, it, it this is who you are and, and it was who Cosby was, but for you, this is who you are. It's not something you're intentionally trying to put into the culture, like a family black man. Right, right, right. Is that on your it mind? Wasn't, it wasn't, but it was. It was like, so I, here's my great, like one of my, the best books I've ever read was like Great Gatsby, right? And so oh, yeah. I have an affinity for those types of stories. That's why I like Mad Men. I like any kind of story where somebody's able to shift their image. Mm. Uh, like the idea of Steve Urkel and Stefan or whatever. So that's that's how I felt about college. So I felt in high school, I was this particular person, but I was looking at college to become Mike Goodwin. Like I wanted, like I had a vision 
for who I wanted to become, but I wasn't there at the time. And so I think my journey was I, I had the image, but I, I wanted to like be authentic in the image. So there was like, I was trying to, you know, I grew up in a time where folks were talking about fake it till you make it. And mm-hmm. so you dress to the position that you want to be versus the position that you're in. So a lot of my life, I was chasing this thing, right? I was chasing this image. I was trying to create, I was trying to present myself in a manner. And then like that all broke down because you can't walk around on a chip on your shoulder, but for so long, like, yo, they disrespected me. They're not taking Mm -hmm. me seriously. Then when you become good, people aren't disrespecting you. They are looking forward to you. And so I had like an identity crisis to say like, who am I? Like, am I this image that I'm putting up? So I was doing a little bit of that Bill Cosby stuff in terms of like projecting what I wanted the world to see me as. But then like I merged that all together at some point. It was like, hey man, this is who it is. This is leadership, laughter, comedy, bro, it's all here. Like I used to try to like keep that separate. And now if you look at what I do, like I'm doing keynotes, I'm doing stand up. I'm I'm talking about educate like I'm just like, man, I am what I am. But I, I think I grew into that, but I did that wasn't a deliberate thing from the start. Like only thing I was deliberate about was creating a brand like Bowtie Comedy because I knew when I started, I started when I was like 28, mm-hmm. I knew it was a lot of comedians out there. And my example for that was uh Cat Williams. I remember watching Cat Williams open for Ricky Smiley because I used to go to, man, I used to love going to the comedy house here in Columbia when it was at the other location. And uh, man, Ricky would just sell it. I mean, it was, it was, it was a credible night when Ricky would come because he was, this when he was doing those prank phone calls. I mean, he was oh, hot. man. And so one time he, you know, and I went like maybe three or four times when Ricky just was the dude. And then one time he showed up with Cat Williams. And I'm like, who in the world is this guy? And like, he was the opener and he hadn't gotten any, you know, acclaim or anything. He was just a working comic. And, uh, and I didn't even really remember his name. I was just like, yo, this little dude, he was super funny. He was the funniest dude of the night. But then I remember watching the Friday after next, and it was like, there go the dude. And uh, he was Money Mike. Mm-hmm. And so he toured as Money Mike following the movie. Like, he came to Columbia. The radio stations were saying, come out Friday night to see Money Mike from Friday after next. He wasn't Captain Williams, a.k.a. Oh, wow. He was straight up Money Mike. They had Money Mike on the marquee. They were advertising him as Money Mike. So I kind of watched this guy go from Money Mike to Cat Williams. And that, that like kind of left, and I wasn't doing comedy at the time, but it left a, like a thing in my brain like, you have to do something to make them remember you because they're not going to remember you. Right. And so I was just like, the bow tie. That was, it was organic. It was who I was. So I was delivered about, hey man, I'm going to dress how I would, and, you know, that's how I dress. I, you know, I'm just, you know, Ivy League looking urban cat. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey man, I'm just gonna take that on stage. And I'm just gonna be myself, be Mike Goodwin, but I'm gonna be bow tie comedy and I'm gonna wear a bow tie. And if people don't remember these jokes or whatever, they're gonna say, and it really started happening. People were like, man, the bow tie. I mean, people I, I had I had one time somebody sent me a flyer for the show. They was like, come in Friday night, bow tie comedy. They didn't even have Mike Goodwin name on the flyer. It was just Bow tie comedy. I was like, man, we done branded this too well. But that, I, I was super intentional about standing out from the group. So then that the advice that that uh some of the 
OGs gave you, it was partly true, right? Killing matters, but uh, a lot of people kill. A lot of people are funny at branding, finding out, having an identity is 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 the big thing. Right. I, you broke up a little bit, so I didn't. Oh no, no. I was saying. Uh, I said, yeah. I said, killing. I said that you know the advice that that some of the comics, older comics, gave you was true in a way, uh, very true. That killing and, and being good on stage is important, but that branding piece is is so much of it That's because major, man. It, it's so many funny people. Like, what makes you? What's going to make us remember you? What can I sell to a network? What can I sell? What are yeah. you? And if people leave. If people leave your five minutes without knowing who Mike Goodwin is, then you just made them laugh. You may as well tickle them for five minutes. Right. If they're not, right. not going to remember who you are, <laughs> you know? So that's, I, I that's so critical, somebody, that piece. There was like a James Brown quote or something about, you know, people spend more time uh, focused on the show than focused on the business. So I was like, man, I don't want that to be said of me. I want to make sure my business game, I wanted to kill off stage as much as I wanted to kill on stage. So I, that, that was kind of a mindset I had. Man, well, you certainly, you certainly doing it. You had that approach when you came into the game. A little bit. Yeah, man. I, I it, it didn't take long. It didn't take long for me to kind of think about, you know, those pieces. Cause again, I, I remember, man, I even remember, but back to Cat Williams, I remember Cat Williams being on a, uh, like the Steve Harvey morning show early. And this was kind of where he was getting his, he was really popping. And there was, uh, I forgot the young lady, Erica Reed or something, that she used to be mm-hmm. on the show. And Kat didn't have a, a, a press kit. He didn't have a EPK. He didn't have, and the late, you know, they kind of got into a little thing on air. Like, you too big to not have this stuff. Like, where's your buy? And I was just like, oh, that's important. So I was just always looking at that the, the stuff that most comics wasn't looking at off stage. So you were studying a lot of aspects of this, right? Because I knew I ain't had a lot of time. Like I knew the clock. I mean, I was like in the, I was in the second quarter off top. Like, yeah. You know, and I see that. And when I started, I was like thirty three, and I used to sometimes go, man, like I waited a long time, and there's so many cats, you know, fifteen years younger than me out there and 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 then I thought about it though and I'm like but man like that life experience that I've been able man, to accumulate sure I can bring to the stage. Right. Yeah, it's almost an accelerant because it's like you have something to talk about where you know a cat that's 20 some years old it ain't but so many things you the average 20 year old that you got to talk about. And right. when you get to a certain age you talk of family, career, life journey, don't you're you're just what you bring to the stage to me is richer when right. you've lived a little bit. When you and, and right. actually I've mentioned this quote a couple times on the podcast, but <clears throat> I always think of it. I was down in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh Billy Gardell from Mike and Molly was was down there. Okay. And and I was uh talking to him and I said, Hey man, can I get a guest spot? You know, uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean that show was on CBS, might have been top whatever on CBS. I'm like, man, I get a guest spot, you know. And he said, Well, listen, man, we got the, the show's packed. I can't do that, but I can talk to you for a little bit. So I said, Oh, okay. So we go out on the balcony or whatever while the show's going on, me and him talking, just us. And he said, I said, So, you know, what advice and all that stuff? And he said, Well, I'll tell right. you. Right. He he said, uh, the thing I I'll tell you is he said, I remember I performed with George Carlin on his last comedy tour. 
He said, I, I, I was the opener. And he said, I was talking to George Carlin about writing material. And he said, man, you've had so many albums, like great albums. He said, how were you able to crank out so much different product like that over right. those years? Right. And George, he said, George Carlin told him this, and I'll never forget it, brother. He said, <clears throat> George Carlin told him, I was just talking about my life. And he said that, you know, as the years evolve, your life should be changing. And the things that you're experiencing should be changing. So the, the fresh material, if you're diligent about the craft, should be moving through that system. And he said, and if you find yourself with writer's block, you need to put the microphone down and go get busy living. Wow. And I said, that that is what I needed to hear because wow. that's when I started looking back, pulling from my life experiences and making that an advantage for me. And that's when I started, you know, booking more work and, you know, and starting to, to headline in those things when I brought the family into it, brought the career into it, brought some education right. into it. Right. it. It just made my conversation richer. And I think that's for you, you know, that, that, that when I listen to you on stage, it's like, yeah, that's that, that, that man's lived. I appreciate that, bro. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, man, I could do another hour with you. I know we got to wrap it up. You, you a busy man. I, uh, <clears throat> so, so, let's. Uh, your website, any ways people can keep up with you, man? How, how yeah, can man. Um, my website is comedianmikegoodwin.com. You can actually, I just dropped a comedy album called Mike Goodwin Live at Wiley, Texas, um, that I recorded, and so you can get that on my merch page. Also, you can get me at Bowtie Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. I'm a comedian, Mike Goodwin on Facebook. And please tell the family hello. Um, Definitely. Definitely. I I love keeping up with y'all on Facebook. Your daughter, the young entrepreneur, your wife, your son, man, beautiful family. Happy for for all of y'all. And, and, you know, much continued success, brother. Really. Appreciate that, man. Same to you, man. You over there completely adding on to the family. I know. I know. You got any advice? I got my second coming. Uh... Save money, brother. Save money. Get you some sleep now. So store up sleep and save money. Sleep and money. (laughs) Hey, 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 that's a good note to end on, brother. Mike, I appreciate you dropping through the Comedy Zone podcast. Uh, Brian, unless you got anything else, man. Mike, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for your service. We appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for your service. And we look forward to having you back, man. And y'all say the word. Yes, sir. So for Mike Goodwin, myself, Brian Baltashevitz, we will catch y'all next week. The Comedy Zone podcast is a production of Comedy Zone Worldwide and is recorded in a bunker just off the Comedy Zone showroom at the Abbott Exchange Music Factory in Charlotte, North Carolina. The executive producers of the Comedy Zone podcast are Brian Heffern and Brian Baltashevitz. Talent Wrangler is Mike Hall. Original music composed and performed by John McKeever. 